Today's scripture reading is from the back of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you are using the Pew Bible, it's on page 835. This is a very well-known passage, and we are excited to receive God's word this morning. So let's stand and read it together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that your spirit would fill us with joy because your word gives life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. So make us eager to listen to your word, to find ways to apply your word to our lives. Change us, Lord, so we'd be better aligned with your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So back in May, uh, I had the privilege of attending the graduation ceremony at my seminary. Uh, it was a kind of special situation because I actually didn't finish my last class until the summer, but so I got my diploma in the mail afterwards. But I got to, I got to sit and walk in our graduation ceremony. It was a beautiful time. Um, now, there being with the graduates, I still remember this, just feeling this special kind of connection between graduating and this idea of soldiers being deployed for service. Um, you think about this idea that graduation isn't just a time to celebrate all your academic achievements, which it is, which it is, but at the same time, it's about deployment. It's about deployment in the sense that we're being sent out. If you're graduating, you're being sent out from whatever institution you're studying at. You're about to take what you've learned and, and, and be sent out into the world to do whatever God has called you to do. And so this morning, we are continuing on in our sermon series about the vision of our church, which I'm excited to, to be able to preach about today. Here at Houston Chinese Church, we seek to be an urban Chinese heritage church in central Houston that reaches all those in our lives, Chinese or otherwise, through equipping, sending, and planting. And so it's this idea of sending that I want us to focus our attention on today. You see, here at HCC, we want to be a sending church. We want this church to be a place where people are welcomed in, equipped, and when the time comes, if the time comes for them to leave us, that we see it not as a loss, but as an opportunity. I still think about, I think about two good friends that I, I, I served with here at HCC. Um, they were, I, I discipled both of these guys back in college when they were in CCF. 
Both of them eventually served as leaders with our college cell groups. Uh, and now one's in uh, Seattle, Washington. The other one's with his, you know, young growing family, or young family in New Haven, Connecticut. And they are serving God, uh, both of them, in, in ways that God's called them to where he sent them. And so Ascending Church is a church of sent people on mission with God wherever they go. Ascending Church is a church of sent people on mission with God wherever they go. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 20, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the church, disciples of Jesus, we are sent people. Now, if you ask me for my opinion on what makes, what, what, what are we most known for as a church, I'd have to say two things. Number one, I'd say the preaching, the teaching of God's word. But number two, I think we, we're also known for our community, the Christian community that we have here at ACC. Not a bad thing, but if we're, not, if we're aiming not just to be a church known for its solid teaching or its warm community, but also a sending church that's sending out disciple-making disciples, we've really got to ask the question this morning, how are we going to get there? Because if you're anything like me, your life is busy. It's super busy. You've got all sorts of things on your plate. Uh, Your your to-do list is never-ending, right? And your priorities can easily get misaligned. Uh, It was just the other day, I was, my wife and I had a lunch date planned, uh, at our home, and um, instead of going downstairs as soon as possible when I could, uh, there I was in my room on the phone with Apple support, trying to get something fixed or tr- trying to trying to get something uh, trying to get some help for something I really could have done another time. I, I had my priorities misaligned. So here we are, a church full of busy people with all sorts of different priorities, and we want to become ascending church. When it's easy to get things misaligned, what's it going to take for us as a church to get ourselves realigned with the mission of God in this world? So that's, what I, that's, that's a question I want to focus on today. That's what I want us to think about. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be in 18 through 20. So this passage takes place at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life, Jesus' mission of living the life we sinners should have lived, dying the death we sinners should have died, um, has culminated in his resurrection. Um, and, And after his resurrection, Jesus gives these words to his disciples, and it's known as the Great Commission. I'm going to focus today and preach on verses 18 to 20, but what I want to do is start from verse 16 to give us context. So let's read together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. 
Life is busy. It's easy to misalign our priorities. I get that. It can happen as individuals, but it can also happen corporately as a church. So if we really want to become a sending church, what are we going to need to do to get ourselves realigned with God's mission in this world? Well, here in this passage, I, I, I see three things. First, to become a sending church, we've got to realign ourselves with Jesus' power. We've got to realign ourselves with Jesus' power. And by power, here I mean the idea of authority. Power in the sense of authority. You see, Jesus is with his disciples in Galilee. He's about to leave them and send them out on mission. But notice the very first thing he says to them before he gets to the, the, the crux of his commission. He starts off with this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you, you might be wondering, who's giving Jesus authority here? And, uh, and so in, first, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2, we see that it's God the Father giving Jesus this authority. It's the Father who exalts the Son and gives him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so right now, right now, in this moment, at the present, Jesus has supreme authority over all creation, and Christians are ambassadors sent out to announce Jesus' rightful authority and kingship over this world. And we're, we're to call everyone to repent and be reconciled to God. There's no lesser authority on this earth, whether it's, there's no government, no city council, no school board, who should, make us, who should make us shrink back from our commission that Jesus has given us to preach the gospel and to make disciples. In the book of Acts, as the early church is being formed, we, we have this great story that informs, that illustrates this. The, the religious authorities arrest the apostles Peter and John. You might remember, they, they order Peter and John not to speak or talk or, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, they, these religious authorities, they were trying to stop the gospel movement in its tracks. The other believers, they hear what the authorities have to say. And immediately we see them in Acts chapter 4, we immediately see them pleading to God in prayer for boldness. Because they were hoping, they were wanting, they were, they were desiring to keep preaching the word of God despite persecution. They needed boldness. And so they prayed for it. I think we're, think, I think we're feeling, feeling and facing a similar situation today. The religious authorities of that time try to silence the apostles in much the same way society is trying to silence us. And we very much want to silence our witness in the world today. Don't talk about your religion with me. I, I can believe what I want. You can believe what you want. Let's just keep it that way. Oh, how Satan would so very much want to keep our mouths shut and hold us back from speaking the truth about God, the truth about ourselves. But we can't do that. Jesus is a rightful king over heaven and earth. The gospel tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and that's eternal death. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So someone has to pay for our sins. It's either us in eternal hell, or it's Jesus Christ 
on the cross. To remain silent about all this is not an option. So if we want to become a disciple, if we want to be disciple-making disciples, if we want to see our church become sending church, then friends, we've got to pray for boldness, consistent with the fact that Jesus is the ultimate authority in this world, and he has the ultimate authority over everything in creation. So pray for boldness, because we need boldness so that we won't shrink back. It's easy to shrink back uh, uh, from having spiritual conversations with people in a culture that sees religion as suspect, in a society that wants to keep uh, Bible-believing people silent. We need to pray for boldness. We need to pray against the fear of man. And so by doing so, we realign ourselves with Jesus' power and his authority. We need this boldness if we want to make, if we want to be disciple-making disciples realigned with God's mission in this world. Second, in order to become a sending church, we must realign ourselves with Jesus' priorities. We must realign ourselves with Jesus' priorities. So Jesus makes first very clear that he's in charge. He's got ultimate authority over all the earth. But then he immediately goes on into the meat of what he's trying to get at. And so look down at verse 19 with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. One commentator explains that the way this sentence is put together, the main imperative here is make disciples. You might have heard of that. The main imperative is make disciples. But that's then carried out by the other two participles, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching. So I see here, Jesus has two priorities when it comes to making disciples. Evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. So here's a, conf- here's a confession, all right? Here's a confession. I, I used to think that I was fine just discipling Christians, helping raise up leaders, because I thought that was what I was good at. That's what I got excited about. I, I, I did not give much attention to evangelism. I, 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 I didn't give much time or energy or effort to reaching out to the lost. And, and, and the, the worst thing about it was I was okay with that. I, I gave myself a pass. I didn't feel bad about that. I hope you see that the reality is that the Great Commission is about the priorities of both evangelism and discipleship. After all, making disciples starts with baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which means that someone has to have explained to someone outside the Christian faith what the Christian gospel was, and this non-Christian had to, by God's grace, come to faith in the gospel And all that needs to take place before baptism into the life of a local church. So the priority of evangelism is totally baked into the the idea of making disciples. There's really no way around it. But that begs the question this morning. Why aren't we evangelizing more? Why aren't we doing it more often? And here's, here's my answer. One of the biggest things you need to look at when it comes to making disciples, and particularly evangelism, if that's not kind of your cup of tea, or that's not what you're wired to do by nature, is, is um, spelled out with four letters. T-I-M-E. Time. 
I, I know we're all busy, we're all super busy. I know we've all got priorities swirling around in our minds, but if you want to be realigned with Jesus' priorities, you've got to carve out time to be on mission with Jesus. I love the story one of my seminary professors tells. Um, you know, churches uh, so often have myriads of activities, myriads of events on their calendars, uh, leaving, leaving their church members with really little time left over for people outside of the church. And so there was this one pastor who one day decided he's going to make this drastic change to his church. And what he does is for one whole year, he basically says, uh, we're going to be, we're only going to have meetings held at our church building two times a week. And he encouraged, he encouraged his church members instead to set aside one night a week to engage people outside the Christian faith and move towards gospel conversations with them. And you know what? After that one year, this church experienced the largest number of converts to the Christian faith it ever had. And my professor suggests perhaps it was because the church calendar changed to allow time for building relationships with those outside the church. And let's be honest. It, it is so easy. It is so easy to get caught up building relationships with one another inside the church. And it's not a bad thing. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good thing, Christian fellowship. But we've only got so much time. And if we want to be balanced in our making of disciples, we've got to, be, we've got to include evangelism in our repertoire. We've got to include make, uh, evangelism as part of our thinking of how we're making disciples. So here's my, here's my invitation. Some of you today here just need to start with prayer. Who are three people far from God in your life that you can start praying for every day starting today? Who are three people in your life who are far from God you can start praying for every day? Another, another prayer. Make it a regular prayer of yours to ask that God would use you to help bring at least one more person of faith in Christ by the end of this year. And, and keep praying that every year. That's what I do. Keep praying that every year. It's a simple prayer, but if you keep praying that over and over again, it's going to keep the priority of evangelism on the front of your mind. I guarantee it. And for some of you, maybe your next step is to build evangelism into your regular rhythms of your life. Just building it into your regular rhythm so you're not, you're not having to forget about things, but you build it in. So, so, so for some of you, maybe that means to block out a time in your calendar once a week or every other week just to be with people who are far from Jesus. Maybe it's a Wednesday night. Maybe it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm not, you, know, you don't have to be legalistic about this, but I think the principle here is just make sure you're carving out intentional time to be with, Christ, uh, be with people outside the Christian faith. All right, so that's evangelism, and now here's discipleship. And I think of discipleship more as an umbrella term that's encapsulated in the Great Commission idea of teaching people to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Once you're a Christian, your discipleship to Christ can be cultivated in all sorts of different ways, whether it's being in a room like this on Sunday mornings to hear the Word of God preached, whether it's on a, a weekday um, small group gathering, whether it's reading a, a good book on the Christian life. But one of the best ways that I know how to grow as a disciple is one-on-one -on -one personal discipling. And I want to think of it as like, you want to think of it like, like personal training, um, but for your spiritual life. You see, you can start off a workout plan 
by going online, getting on YouTube, getting on whatever articles, reading whatever articles you want, you could, you could start off your workout plan uh, doing that on your own and then hitting the gym. But how much more effective would it be to start off your workout plan if you had a coach, if you had a personal trainer walking alongside you in the process, coaching you towards your goals? And the same is true for spiritual growth. So you might not be familiar with this, but there's a difference between discipleship and discipling. Mark Dever defines discipling as de deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will become more like Christ. He says the discipleship is the idea of our own following Christ, while discipling is the idea of helping someone else follow Christ. Does that make sense? Kind of that distinction, discipleship versus discipling. I'll say it one more time. Discipleship is the idea of our personal, our own following Christ, but discipling, I-N-G, is helping someone else follow Christ. Let me illustrate this for you. I've known Pastor Jason uh, since I was in high school. He was our youth director back in the day, and I was in his discipleship group with a, a group of close friends. Um, I still remember how, as a high schooler, maybe even before, I, I really struggled with my appearance because I had a lot of pimples. I had a lot of pimples. Just couldn't control it. And I, I still remember um, this one afternoon uh, during a discipleship group meeting, he, he, he took me aside at a friend's house. He took me aside, and he encouraged me, and he told me, he used these words, he, he, he encouraged me to have Christ esteem instead of self-esteem. Christ esteem instead of self-esteem. I mean, th that's a good way to put it, right? And, and you know, that simple conversation, I still remember to this day. Soon after Jason came back uh, to HCC after, um, to serve as an English minister at our church a little over 10 years ago, I started meeting up with him um, as my personal discipler one-on-one. -on -one. And it's through this discipling relationship that I feel like I've been deeply shaped into who I am today, theologically and even vocationally. Uh, some of you may already know this, but I recently made a major transition from being a doctor, working as a physician, to being here on staff as a church planning resident. And uh, I I'm still planning to work a little bit on the side as a doctor, but most of my time is going to be going into helping see a new church being planted in the west part of town. And I imagine that my life as a pastor is going to be shaped in different ways by the example and influence of my discipler, by Pastor Jason. And I say all this to illustrate the impact that discipling has had on my discipleship as a Christ follower. So if we want to be a sending church that's about making disciples, making disciple, making disciples, then we've got to ask ourselves, or you've got to ask yourself, who's, who's discipling you? And, and who are you discipling? I've heard it said in these terms, who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? So if these people aren't in place in your life right now, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you, I want to ask you to make it a reality. Find someone you could disciple. Find someone who could disciple you here in our church. And as a church, we're on the cusp of a major building campaign. And, and I want to say that I think the building itself is not the mission, right? The building itself is not a mission. But, but building, buildings facilitate mission. And if we want to be a sending church that makes disciple-making disciples, then it makes sense to do whatever we can 
to remodel, to renovate, to expand our building in a way that helps our church facilities become the training center and sending base that we want them to be. So we've got this great commission. I'm calling us to realign ourselves with Jesus' power. I'm calling us to realign ourselves with Jesus' priorities, and that's to make disciples both by evangelism and discipleship. But there's one more thing I see here if we want to become a sending church, and that's this. To become a sending church, we've got to realign ourselves with Jesus' promise. We've got to realign ourselves with Jesus' promise. Look down at the second part of verse 20 with me. Jesus says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the journey of making disciples is not going to be an easy one. You're going to face the fear of rejection. You're going to face the fear of losing friendships. You're going to face the fear of losing your reputation among your friends, among your coworkers, among your classmates. When you start opening your mouth to talk about Jesus, not everyone is going to like that. And when it may sting, it may sting when you face rejection or you feel like people think differently about you because you just brought up something spiritual. But that's why Jesus promises to be with us and, and that his promise to be with us can be so comforting. I still remember receiving a text from a non-believing friend of mine um, a while back where he basically wanted to hold off doing any more Bible studies. We just finished two, um, two, two sessions, you would say, two sessions um, talking about the Christian faith, and he, he just didn't seem interested anymore. And it's hard not to feel sad or disappointed when that happens. But you know, nobody ever said that this making disciples was going to be easy. But Jesus does say, you won't do it alone. I'm giving you my spirit. I will be with you. Wherever I send you, I'm going to be with you. So keep on going. Keep on going. I will be with you. We read in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was in Corinth, Scripture says that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks about Christ. But there were people who were totally against him, totally opposed him, totally rejecting him and his gospel. And there's this one night we read about how Jesus says to him in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. That's the Great Commission promise. I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So church, disciple-making may not be easy, but you're not going to be doing it alone. Realign yourself with Jesus' promise, and remember, he will be with you to the end of the age. Now, now, there's a comfort here in that promise, but I also see another thing. I see a call. There's a comfort, but also a call. And, and it's, it's a call to, to urgency. It's a call to fight with all our hearts against the paralyzing poison of complacency. Jesus says that he'll be with us to the end of the age, which also means that there will be an end to this age. You see that? And at the end of this age, there will be final judgment where those in Christ will enter into eternal glory, but those outside of Christ will enter into eternal hell. Which means that it won't always be the way things are right now, where we have the opportunity to share the gospel with people and where there's opportunity for people who are outside of Christ to turn to Christ. It won't always be like that. 
And so if you, if you think about it, there's a kind of mercy in the Lord waiting to come back, in the, in the Lord not coming back just yet, because it means that there's still time for sinners to repent. There's still time for the lost to be saved. And what I'm trying to get you to feel if you're a Christian here today is, is a deep sense of urgency to get the gospel to as many people as you can, as we can, as soon as we can. Now, I also want to speak to those of you here in this room who, who don't identify yourselves as a Christian. First of all, we're glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. We're, we're excited and thankful that you're taking time to be with us, to worship with us, or to be in a gathering like this. But, and I hope you see that in our time here in Scripture that, you know, why Christians are the way they are. Um, if, if, you're, if you're kind of wondering, why, why do Christians always try to talk about spiritual things? Why can't we just talk about sports? Why can't we just leave it at school or work? Why, why, are, why are Christians kind of broaching the subject so often? You might be wondering that. But I hope you see that we feel this urgency to tell you the truth about God and the truth about humans because we think we've got really good news in our hands. And no news is really good news unless you start with the bad news. And the bad news is that every single person in this world is estranged from God. They're estranged because of sin. We're estranged because we're sinners. And you might think, well, God's loving, isn't he? He is. But he's also holy. He's infinitely holy. And because he's holy, he's got to hold sinners accountable, which means someone has to pay for the price of sins committed against God. And try as we may, none of us can wiggle ourselves out of the consequences of sin to get right with God on our own. All of us, by default, are headed for eternity in hell. So here's the good news. That was the bad news. Here's the good news. God paved a way to make us right with him again, and it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with his son, Jesus Christ, coming to earth as the God-man, living out the perfect life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died. The Bible says that Without blood being shed, without blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did for his people. He shed his blood. So if you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your Savior, you will be forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. You will be made right with God again and given a place in his family. And what's more, Jesus isn't dead God raised him back to life. And so to, to be a Christian is to surrender your life completely to a living Jesus, a living King Jesus. And at the end of, if you don't, if you don't hear anything else, I'm, I'm, I want to say this, time is limited. Time is limited. This life is your one chance to turn to Christ. And you can't assume that you can just put this off because you've got a long life to live. You don't know how long you've got to live. And so, when the end of the age comes or your time comes to leave this earth, you won't have another chance after death. So turn away from your sin. Surrender your life to Jesus today. Church, there is no time to waste. There is no time to waste. If we want to become a sending church, we've got to fight against the complacency that cripples our witness. We've got to fight against the urge to shrink back because of our fears. And so let's rest in the fact that we're not doing this alone. Jesus promises to be with us as we go about making disciples of all nations. 
And let's ask God to put in all of us, as a church, a greater sense of urgency to get the gospel to as many people as possible as soon as we can, knowing that the end of the age will come. So to close, I, I hope, I hope that whether your time left here with us here at HCC is another year, another five years, or however long God has you for here at HCC, I hope that you can look back on your time with us at HCC as a time when you were discipled to becoming more like Jesus. That you could look back on your time at HCC and think with fondness the joy of helping others follow Jesus. So to that end, let's realign ourselves with Jesus' power, with his, with his priorities, with his promises, so that we would be a church that sends out disciple-making disciples for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, help us now to obey your word. Empower us by your spirit to be the disciple-making disciples you call us to be. And help us be a church of sent people on mission with you wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.